Good morning and welcome to First Church. I'd like to welcome those who are listening on the radio and those that are uh, tuned in on Facebook Live. Uh, what I'd like to do next is invite Connor, Evan, and Ty up for the Advent reading. We gather around the Advent wreath today, knowing that we are not perfect, that we all make mistakes and do bad things. Only Jesus obeyed God fully. Jesus helps us to live as God wants us to live. Scripture comes from Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of, of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion, and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed them with, feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is peace. For Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Christ's name is also Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus gives us peace. Colossians 1, 20-22 for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you in, holy, in his holy sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you that through all the years you have given peace to your people. Help us to have give help us to have your peace in our lives. In this Advent season, we pray that you will help us shine the light of your presence to those around us, so they may also have peace. Amen. Please rise and join in singing. Number 133, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and 138, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Yeah. 
number 138. Go tell it on the mountain. As we think about going into prayer this morning, I just want to reread the second verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It just struck me as we were singing that this morning, how wonderful a picture of the incarnation this verse is. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Right? He is king of all the universe. Right? He is the eternal son of God who is worshipped from the beginning of time. Yet late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Availed in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. 
right? That God who is worshipped and adored by angels and all of creation from the beginning of time chose to become a human being, born of the virgin, born to save us from our sins, to dwell with us as our Emmanuel. Let's pray to him now. Lord Jesus, we come to you now and we, we just are, are so grateful and so thankful that you are our Emmanuel, that you, the eternal Son of God, that everything that was, was created in you and through you and for you, yet you chose to enter into your creation. You chose to become a human being like us in order to rescue us and save us from our sin. You truly are our Emmanuel, our God who is with us. And we, we especially think this time of year about that truth and about that reality, yet it's something that we need to remember all year long, that you, our eternal Lord, our eternal King, became our Savior through that birth, through that life, through that death, and through your resurrection. And so we come to you now in prayer, and, and, and we thank you, Father God, for all that you've done for us. We praise you for your loving kindness towards us through Christ, and we praise you that you've given us your spirit to comfort us and to guide us. We especially think this time of year, um, we think of, of families and we think of individuals who are struggling. With this, this time of year is often so filled with joy and, and special occasions and family get-togethers. We especially think of those, Lord, who are dealing with health problems or suffering or experiencing grief and loss this time of year. We ask that you, Lord God, will be a source of strength and comfort for them. We think especially of our prayers and concerns list and the names that are represented there, Lord. Uh, we may know what's going on in those situations, or we may not, but we do know that you are fully aware of every one of their needs. And so we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you would comfort them, Lord, and that you would provide all that is needed for them this day. And Lord God, we also pray for those in authority over us as your word calls us to do. And so at this time, we want to pray for our federal government, our president, Congress, the Supreme Court, as well as other elected and appointed officials. May you, Lord, grant them wisdom beyond their means. May they have a hunger and thirst after your righteousness that they would be filled. And may they make decisions and lead, Lord, in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you. And Lord, we pray for our church this day. We, we want to lift up especially our, the children in our Sunday school program, uh, the Sunday school ministry, Lord, as they're preparing for this Christmas program next week and they have practice today. We just thank you for the, the students and the teachers and the helpers and all that goes into that. And we just pray that you would bless them and encourage them as they prepare. And may it be a blessing to us as a church next week, Lord, as we gather to witness them speaking and proclaiming the good news of Christmas and how we can prepare our hearts for the arrival of your son. Lord God, we lift all these things up to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated, and at this time I want to invite our children to come forward for children's chat with Ms. Maria.
As they come forward, I just want to take this moment also to remind you, it's not too late to start the Advent devotional. Um, we have several copies still available, but not many. Uh, I mentioned we ordered 200 copies, and when I checked earlier this week, I think we had 10 still around the church. So if you did not get one, we still have a few available. It's never too late to join in and start reading, and so I want to encourage you to do that. Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. All right. So, why do I have this on? Why might I need this? What is it? A headlamp. When might you need to wear a headlamp? In the cave. When else? If you're going to be underground. What if the electricity goes out? Could I wear it then? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's pretend like I exercise and go for a run and it's dark out. Would I want to wear it then? Yeah. Do you know when I wear it? When I have to feed calves in the morning or in the evening when it gets too dark and I can't see what I'm doing? Then I put my headlamp on. I can carry my bucket with my bottles in down to the calf hutches. And I can see exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. But it allows me to see what's going on out here, right? Now, if I take this off and I shine it on me, does that help out here very much? No, No, not really. Nope, not really. We're going to turn this off because it's kind of bright. All right. So, we can have a light people to see, okay? Now, I want you guys to think back to last Sunday in Sunday school. We learned about Zachariah and Elizabeth. And an angel came. And what did the angel tell Zachariah? That his wife was going to have a baby. And did Zachariah believe the angel? Nope. And what happened to Zachariah? He couldn't talk until the baby was born. And that baby was going to be somebody special. And we know him today as John the Baptist. He was one of Jesus' cousins. And people knew that John was somebody important. He had this, this light about him. And he didn't let it focus on himself, but he let it shine for other people to see. And everybody could tell that John was somebody somebody special because he just was just had this way about him and they thought maybe he was the messiah that everyone had been waiting for but john said nope it's not me but i am preparing the way for someone else to come who is even better than i am who will have a who will save the world and so john's goal was always to show others that their attention should go to God, to Christ. Okay? Now, how can you do that? How can you pretend like you're walking around with a headlamp on and shining light? How can you do that? Well, yeah. What about a smile? Do you think a smile could brighten somebody's day? Yeah. 
Herschel, when you come to preschool and you smile, it brightens my day. It does. Yeah, Benjamin's got a good smile. See, it's simple. We can just smile. And that could brighten somebody's day. Or we could hold a door open. Or say please or thank you. No. Or, or we could just give mom or dad or somebody else in your life a big hug. Just because. That's letting your light shine for other people to see. Okay? And so we want to live in a way where the light doesn't shine on us, but the light shines through us and out to the people around us so that they can see that Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Okay? So let's say a quick, quick prayer. Dear God, thank you for coming to earth for us. Help us to live in a way that brings glory to you. Help us point others to Christ and shine his light on the world. We love you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Please keep us all healthy, happy, and safe this week. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Maria. Thanks, kids. You guys can head back to your seats. As the choir comes forward for the offering this morning, I just want to take a moment and remind you what our offering is for today. Uh, First Sunday of the month, typically that goes to the general fund, and that is true, of course, of today. I want to encourage you as you feel led or able to give, um, we want to give to the general fund. Um, I think this is also a good reminder. This is the time of year. Uh, The past month, the designated offering committee met and, and looked forward to the next year. And I just want to thank those that helped serve on that. Um, and what a blessing it is for us as a church to be able to um, designate these Sunday offerings for different reasons. And some of them, of course, are internal that support the ministry of the church. But many of them are external. They're, they're given away to other ministries and other organizations. And, and it is a blessing for us as a church to be able to collect monies for the explicit purpose of giving them away and supporting others who are doing good work. And so I just want to say thank you to the designated offering committee that met recently that helped um, look forward to the next year. So with that being said, I want to invite the, the deacons to come forward and collect their offering today.
first scripture reading this morning is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have he, verses 9 through 14. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's take this time to pray together again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the opportunity to hear it read out loud. Um, And we are just so grateful that you've given it to us so that we may know you and love you and serve you in our lives. As we open it now together, I just ask that you, your Holy Spirit would work in us. I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And I also pray, Lord, that you would give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this year, after many, many years of kicking the can down the road, Allie and I uh, decided to purchase a new Christmas tree for the house. We'd been using one for many years, one one of those pre-lit trees that the lights don't pre-light anymore, you know, so it had the lights on there, but then you still had to string other lights on to make it work. And and we kind of had enough of that. And so we decided to purchase a new Christmas tree this year. And so we got one that was on sale. It was a good deal. And, and it had all these different settings for lights. And we thought the kids would love that. So you put it on one setting and they're bright colors. You put it on another setting. They're more like subdued pastel. And of course, there's just the plain white lights as well. But then there was also this mode that it would transition between those three settings. And so it would light up real bright in these bright colors. And then it would kind of doll out into the pastels until eventually going to the whites and then back up again. And, and we're like, this is great. The kids are going to love this. So we set up our Christmas tree earlier and, uh, and we got it all set up and I plugged it in. We turned it on and sure enough, it lit up. The bottom half of the tree was bright white lights. The top half of the tree was colored. (laughs) And then it would transition, but it would go opposite. So as the bottom was transitioning to the colors, the top was transitioning to the whites. And we were looking at it and thinking, this is not right. (laughs) This is not what's supposed to happen here. And eventually I figured out that the problem was that when you connected it, you'd think that a plug like that could only go in one direction, but you'd be mistaken that I had plugged it in the wrong way. We were about ready to take this thing down and return it to the store for being, uh, for not working properly. But eventually I figured out what the issue was and thankfully it works well now, but we use lights this time of year as a reminder of what Maria just talked to us about during children's chat. The Advent wreath, Christmas decorations, even our candlelight service on Christmas Eve are all reminders that Jesus is the light of the world, right? And that that light has come into our world so that we can see the glory of the one and only Father. Christmas takes place during some of the darkest nights of the year, right? As, as winter, as we approach 
you know, the change of the seasons from fall into winter, the nights get longer and darker. And it's in the midst of that darkness that the lights shine and brighten up our days. Again, these lights remind us that the true light has come into the world. That the light, as verse 5 in John chapter 1 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So this passage from John 1 that you just heard read might not be at the top of your typical Christmas list or gospel readings when it comes to Christmas. Those top spots are usually reserved for Matthew and Luke's birth narratives. Those two gospels focus more, I guess you could say, on the human perspective of the incarnation, right? Focusing on Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus in the manger. You even get shepherds and wise men thrown in. And yes, the occasional angel makes an appearance too. John, however, focuses more on Jesus's divine and eternal nature. Again, I just want to read verses 1 through 4 for you so you get a a glimpse of what I'm talking about in John chapter 1. And again, if you have a Bible with you and and like to follow along, I encourage you to do that. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And I'll tack on verse 5, which I already read for you. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, John's gospel focuses more on the eternal Son of God. He is the Word who became flesh. He is the light that shines in the darkness. He existed before time began, and all things were made through him and for him. And if you're curious, I've mentioned Matthew, Luke, and now John. If you're curious why you don't hear Mark read a whole lot during this Christmas season, it's because Mark just skips it over entirely, and Jesus enters the scene as a fully grown adult. So that's why you don't hear Mark being read typically on Christmas or Advent readings. It's not like someone is applauding that Jesus showing up at fully (laughs) fully grown even. But taking these gospel accounts together, you get a beautiful picture of the incarnation, right? That's the term that we use to describe Jesus being this eternal son of God who also became a human being like us. If we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man simultaneously, right, that he entered into his creation, as Dr. David Jeremiah put it in one of the readings from the devotional so far, right, in the incarnation, it's heaven coming down to earth. And so Jesus enters into his creation, and he does so in order to save us from our sin, right? That's what we talked about last week, that God created us to know him, to love him, to serve him, yet because of our sin, that had become a problem. And so Jesus entered into his creation to make us, to forgive us, and to make us more like him. If you think about it, Jesus becoming a human being is is like an author writing himself into the story of a novel, right? Can you imagine reading, reading a book and, and the author has decided to insert himself as one of the main characters? It'd be a little, little strange, a little out of the box, right? Well, it's exactly what the incarnation is like. It is the author of the story writing himself into the narrative. And we're reminded in the passage that you heard read from John chapter 1, verses 9 and 11 that even though Jesus created everything and everyone, right, they rejected him. They did not receive him. They did not welcome him into the creation as the author, as the main character he should have been. 
And that's why verse 12 is such a pivotal verse. It says, to those who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Think about that for just a second. To those who did receive him. Again, there's people that did not receive him, but to those who did receive him, he gives them the right to become children of God. See, Jesus became like us so that he could make us like him, right? Jesus became a human being like us so that he could restore us and redeem us so that we can become a child of God. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And again, it lines up with John 3.16. If you recall, we're we're kind of using that as the foundational verse for this Advent season. John 3.16, last week we focused on, again, God created us to know him, love him, and serve him. Yet because of sin, something needed to be fixed. And out of his abundant love, God sent his son Jesus to rescue us from our sin. Today we're going to think about that middle part of the verse and how it connects to John 1. That middle part of the verse is that whoever believes in him. Today we're going to talk about our response to that good news. Our response to God sending his son into the world. And that response is to receive Jesus to believe the good news, and to become children of God. Again, receive, believe, and become. So let's first look at what it means to receive Jesus. In verses 11 through 12, it sets up a a stark contrast, right? There are essentially, what it's saying is there's essentially two people, two groups of people in the world. Those that do not receive Jesus, those that reject him, and those that do receive him. Many people rejected Jesus throughout his ministry. Many people rejected the good news of the gospel during the early period of the church described in the book of Acts. And unfortunately, people continue to reject him today. But verse 12 makes an important promise. To everyone who receives Jesus and believes in his name, they are given the right to become children of God. We see salvation is a gift to be received, not something that you can earn yourself. Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now think about that verse for for just a second. There's a difference between wages and gift. Wages is something you earn. What we've all earned for ourselves because of our sin is death. Eternal or spiritual death, separation from God, the author and giver of life. But what we receive because of the grace of God, because of the love of God, is the gift of eternal life. Again, wages is something you earn. A gift is something that is given to you. And what we are given when we receive Christ is eternal life. That is salvation. That is forgiveness. You see, the greatest gift that you will ever receive is not going to be found under a Christmas tree on Christmas morning. The greatest gift that you will ever receive is the forgiveness of sins that comes through receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It is the relationship with God that comes through His Holy Spirit, and there is nothing better than that. And I've said it once, I've said it a dozen times before, but I'll do it again here. 
A gift is completely and totally useless until it is received. Again, think of, think of the, the, the presents under the tree on Christmas morning. It does no good to leave a present wrapped up in a box sitting under the tree. You have not received it until you take that gift, you open it up, and you put it to use. Right? You, can, you can be given all the gifts in the world, right? but they're not going to accomplish anything. They're going to be no benefit to you until you receive it for yourself. And the same is true in Christ. The Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He has done everything necessary to accomplish our salvation. Yet that gift that is freely given to us is of no use until we receive it for ourselves. That's why he says we must, to all who did receive him, that's that important first step. We must receive Jesus. We must accept him as Savior and Lord. Don't keep him in a box. Right? Don't keep him at arm's length. Receive him, accept him as Savior and Lord, and receive the greatest gift of all. But what does it mean to receive him? And I think that's where John further explains what that means by saying to those who believe in his name. So we must receive Jesus, but we also need to believe in him. Again, that connection to John 3.16, whoever believes in him, whoever believes in his name. And that phrase is set in parallel to John chapter 1. To receive is to believe in his name. And the gospel, the New Testament makes that clear in both the gospels and in the book of Acts. For example, in Mark chapter 1, and yes, I'm quoting Mark on purpose because I need to fit it into a Christmas message. When Jesus first announces his ministry, first begins his ministry, he announces the good news with this. He says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. And believe the good news. Again, believe the good news. And in Acts chapter 16, verses 29 through 31, the, Paul and Silas had been imprisoned, and, and through, through God's you know, miracle and salvation, they are, they are released from prison. But before they escape, they have an encounter with the jailer. The jailer understands what has happened, and he falls down on his knees, and and he goes before Paul and Silas and he asks them, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. So throughout the Gospels, throughout Acts, it's this idea of believing, right, in, in Jesus is how you receive the good news, is how you accept that for yourself. But this kind of belief is more than just acknowledging that Jesus exists. It's more than, there's more to it than that. This belief that Scripture talks about, particularly when it talks about the kind of saving belief that a person needs, it could also be translated as faith or trust. So let me offer this definition to you. Belief can simply be described as act of trust. And I want to break that, break that down for you. You are so kind. Thank you. I want to break that down for you. Because both of those words are important. That word belief could be translated as, as faith or trust. But I want to stick with trust here for just a moment. Now, trust is more than just 
believing in certain facts, right? It includes the head, the heart, and the hands. So it does begin with, with an agreement. We'll start with the head. It does, agree, it does begin with an agreement with accurate truth claims about who God is and what he's done. In other words, in order to believe in Jesus, we must know who Jesus is, right? Let me, let me talk to you about my wife, Allie, for just a moment. I know she's home with the kids today. We're obviously going through a little, uh, little, little cold and, and stuff like that. But let me tell you a little bit about her. You know, she's an only child. Um, she's about as tall as I am, and she is quite the accomplished musician, right? And I just love her so much. Now, I know a few of you out there give me some weird looks right now because you know my wife, Allie, and she is not nearly as tall as I am. I am six foot five. She is not an only child, and she is not exactly an accomplished musician, right? But if I were to go around and tell people that and describe my wife that way, you might call into question how much I truly love her, right? How much I love my wife because I can't describe her accurately. Right? If I said those things, you would question how much I love her and how much I'm, how much, um, you know, what that relationship means. Now, let me translate that to what I'm talking about here with believing in Jesus. We must have an accurate understanding of who Jesus is. It should be our desire to know him more and know him more accurately, believe in, in who Jesus is, the correct things about Jesus, true things about him to the best of our ability. And of course, I will, I will throw out the caveat that we are limited in our understanding, that we as human beings are going to make mistakes. We're going to have wrong interpretations or wrong understandings at times. But that shouldn't stop us from striving to know God better and more accurately. And the way that we do that is through his word and through his Holy Spirit. He is the one who will help us to understand God's word better and more accurately and be able to apply it to our lives. And so trust begins with, with our head, with, with an agreement about accurate truth claims about God, who he is and what he's done. But it doesn't just stop there. It can't just stop there. Scripture even describes demons believing that there is one true God, and yet they still shudder, right? So just having knowledge about God or knowledge about who he is is not the entirety of belief. It also must include our hearts. It includes our affections. It includes that relational aspect with our creator, after the resurrection, Jesus encountered Peter and some of the other disciples on the Sea of Galilee. They'd been out fishing, and, and um, Jesus appears to them, and they come to the shore, and they're having breakfast. And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Right? He wasn't asking, can you pass a theology test? He wasn't asking, do you have a correct understanding of, of who I am? He was asking about his affections. He was asking about his heart. Do you love me more than these? And so belief must include more than just our head. It must include our heart as well. Which again, it shouldn't surprise us when Jesus told us the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Again, that includes everything. And it means love him with our entire lives, with our entire beings. 
then that goes to the importance of the relationship that God desires to have with us. Right? When we talked about, uh, when we talked about the head, we talked about how important it is for us to know God, to understand him, to have an accurate view of who he is and what he's done for us. When we talk about our heart, we want to talk about how important it is for us to have an ongoing relationship with God through his Holy Spirit. That means spending time with him in his word and in prayer. It means desiring to be with him and, and also to be with God's people and to build and develop and mature in that relationship over time. So belief includes our head, it includes our heart, but it also includes our hands. Our hands represent our actions or, or even better, maybe our allegiance. So when we think about belief, it, it, we also must include prioritizing our lives around Jesus as our King, as our Lord, as our Savior. It means doing the things that he wants us to do. It means not just knowing what is right, not just loving God, but also living our lives in a way that reflects those things. We need to make him our number one priority in all things. Put him above our family, our jobs, our community, our country. Now, there, there's nothing wrong with loving those things. God calls us to love those things. It's good to love our family. It's good to love your job. It's good to love your community. It is good to love your country. There's nothing wrong with those things. What happens where the, where the problem comes in is when we start putting any one of those things above our allegiance to God. Right? That's where those priorities can get out of whack. That's where those distortions can come in. And we can begin to make idols out of the good things that God has given us and the good things that God has blessed us with when we put too much emphasis on them as opposed to our, our, our commitment to love God and to serve him. And if he is your number one priority, if you have committed to to serve him through actions, through your allegiance, then it should impact how you interact with the world around you. You're going to be more Christ-like. You're going to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's our, it's our head and our heart that will then drive our actions. When we have a right understanding about who God is, when our heart's in the right place and a desire to love him and have a relationship with him, that's going to then motivate us to serve him and to serve others. And we see that demonstrated in the way that many New Testament letters talk about these things. For example, the book of Romans and the book of Ephesians, the first part of those letters are, are all about the head and the heart. It's all about theology and understanding who God is and what he's done for us. And then in the second half of those letters, Paul moves on to talk about how we are called to live in response to those things. And so belief needs to move from the head to the heart, but it also needs to move from the head and the heart to our hands and to impact the way that we live our lives. And then finally, the last thing about belief before we move on, we talked about trust, the head, the hands, and the heart, but we also need, it also needs to be an active trust. Belief in Christ is not meant to be a passive activity. It's not just an add-on to our lives whenever it's easy or convenient for us to do. It's meant to be something that we participate in actively, that we 
we organize our lives around. And that is what God is calling us to do in Christ, to offer ourselves as active participants, not passive spectators. And one passage that he highlights that for us is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want to read that for you today. In Romans 12, Paul urges us, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. He says we're called to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, right? We're supposed to be offering our entire selves to him so that we may love him and serve him in this world, that we may let his love shine through us, his light, right, Maria, shine through us to others, that we may love them with the love we ourselves have received from God. And he says when we do that, when we offer ourselves as, as a living sacrifice, that's our, that's our act of worship to him. And then he goes on to say, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed there is the same word that we get our, our English word metamorphosis from. Right? A metamorphosis is a complete and total transformation. It's a permanent change. Scientifically, it's the word that we use to describe when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, right? When a, when a caterpillar goes into the cocoon and, and that transformation takes place and it emerges as a butterfly, there's no going back to being a caterpillar, right? I'm not advocating this, right? But you can, you can take the wings off of a butterfly, but that doesn't make it a caterpillar again, right? It's a complete and total transformation that takes place. And that is exactly what happens to us when we receive and believe the good news. And that brings us to our final point here then. When we receive Jesus, when we believe in his name, he gives us the right to become children of God. We become children of God. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's a new relationship with God Chapter 2, I'm not going to read the chapter in its entirety, but I would encourage you to do that. It describes this new relationship that we have with God and with his people. As forgiven people, we are redeemed. We are restored once again into that relationship with God. And that relationship with him as if he is our father and we are his children, there's, there's kind of two aspects to that relationship. One, there's a, a legal aspect to it, right? A child has legal standing at, at, in the family, right? A right to inheritance, a right to belong. And that happens when we are forgiven, when we are justified. We receive an inheritance. And so in one sense, when the moment we put our trust in Christ, that is true of us. We are his children and that cannot be removed. But there's another aspect of that relationship that is ongoing, and that is and that is a restored relationship with our Father. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, Paul says this. He says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
Now, if we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. He says that we are hit, that, that we cry out, Abba, Father. Again, that, that word Abba is just a word that's transliterated uh, right from the uh, Aramaic, actually. And, and the reason it's preserved that way is because we don't really have a great English uh, equivalent in our language. See, the word Abba is, is a very personal title, a personal way to refer to your dad. Now, it was, it was a very close personal name, but it was more formal than like daddy or something like that, like a small child would call their dad. But it was also more personal, more intimate than simply calling someone father. It was a term of affection that even adult children would continue to use for their dad. And the idea that we would be able to call God our Abba was completely unheard of before Jesus. No one would have thought to call him Abba, but that's exactly what Jesus invites us into. Through him and through the presence of his Holy Spirit, we can know the God, we can know our God as Abba Father. And we can have a close personal relationship with him. But finally, and I will leave with this point, that new relationship isn't the only new relationship we have isn't just with our father in heaven, but is also with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, when we are told that we are children of God, that means that we've been brought into a family, right? And if I'm a child of God and you're a child of God, that means we're siblings, right? And we got to figure out how to get along. We got to learn to live together, love one another, serve one another. And that's what the second half of Ephesians 2 describes, the unity that we have in Christ, that we are called to love and serve one another, that yes, we are even called to overcome our differences for the sake of Christ. And we do that by learning to set aside our own personal preferences and, and by serving one another. And we can do that, Ephesians 2 says, because Christ is our peace. He reconciled us to God. He made us members of one family. And so I want to encourage you today as we think about what it means to reflect on the gospel at Christmas, why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He came to save us from our sins. He did all the work for us, right? He died on the cross. He rose again. What he calls us to do is to receive him, to believe in his name. And when we do, we become children of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word today. We thank you for this great truth, this great promise that when we receive you and we believe in your name, we receive the greatest gift of all, forgiveness of sins, the salvation of our souls, and restoration into a relationship with you as children of God. I pray that this Christmas, the, those that are here, those that are listening on the radio, those that are watching it on Facebook, would, would know that for themselves, Lord, that they would receive you as Lord and Savior and put their trust in you today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you, invite you to stand with us as we sing our closing song, God So Loved.
go in the knowledge that the true light of the world has come and that the darkness will not overcome him. Let his light shine in you and through you so that you may love God and love others in this world. Now may the love of God, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace. Amen.